0: hi everybody how you doing you look great what a weekend what a fall oh my goodness it's just been amazing i'm absolutely loving this it's just been a blast and i hope you're breathing it in because it's not going to last forever the snow is coming i know it's dry around here but i'm telling you breathe it in while we have it hey we have uh some wonderful thing to do right now in honoring a couple of people who have uh completed something that's a big deal. And I'm going to ask them to come right now. Justin and Mackenzie Matthews and Nate and Megan Traverner, would you guys come? We have what we call pastor in training at Timberline Church. And uh, sometimes when we hire new pastors, they're fully on our pastoral team when we bring them aboard. But then we have requirements that we put on them to to meet a certain standard of education and we want to make sure that they uh have walked through doctrine classes and all history classes and the kind of the kind of formulas that that will create success for them and and good theology practice and I'm telling you um, Justin and Nate have gone through that they happen to be married to two amazing absolutely uh wonderful women who are also very involved in ministry Justin is our middle school pastor youth pastor uh, he's a magnet for kids. Your kids love him if you have kids in that age. And uh, Mackenzie is uh, part of our, Our actually leads our, our Timberland College, 970, young adults, very involved. Nate and Megan are directly involved with leadership at our Windsor campus, which we're very excited about. So many amazing things happen in there. And so this past, a uh, couple of months ago, we had our pastor's retreat. And they had completed all of the classes. This can be, this can be a year, two, or even three years in the making. But you guys worked hard. Thank you. Appreciate you doing that. So we gave them, uh, this bronze, which is Jesus washing Peter's feet as just a symbol to say, as shepherds, we will always be servants. And that's the highest call that can be on us as pastors is to always serve. So we presented that, and it was a setting where all of our pastoral team got to say nice things, and, and there were tears, and it was wonderful, and, and it was really, really fun to, to kind of bless... And encourage and we, we love you so much and thank you for your investment here at Timberline. So I thought, let's take a weekend and pray over them and let you know that they have completed that now. So congratulations, you never have to read another book again. No, I'm kidding. It's ongoing around here, believe me. <laughs> but let's pray. Lord, first I just want to thank you so much for Justin and Mackenzie, their lives, just who they are in you. Thank you for this couple. God, thank you for their enthusiasm for the work of God. I don't take that for granted. Their eyes sparkle when they talk about ministry. Their heart leaps within them as they think about the things that they are praying for, the things that you are doing. Thank you for the young people and young adults impacted in the kingdom because of this couple. Bless them encourage them. Thank you for their commitment to excellence. Father, when I think about Nate and Megan and I think about their work ethic and their love for God their history, their labor, their intensity in terms of saying we believe in the kingdom. Thank you for their worldview and their travels and their calling and the things that you've put upon them to say we are called to Windsor. And God, we pray for the town of Windsor that you will bless and encourage. You will use these guys mightily in that environment. Thank you that they're part of this thing called Timberline Church. We pray blessing, encouragement, and strength upon them for the glory of God. Use each of these for your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's say thank you to these wonderful people. Love you guys. Thank you. Pretty amazing stuff. Alright. All veterans. If you are a veteran, in the South Auditorium as well, stand right now. Let us say thank you. Wow. I hope you feel the heart behind that applause. We deeply appreciate your commitment and your sacrifices, the ones you have made to make a difference in our lives and in this great nation. So God bless you in that. Well, I'm telling you, it has been uh, quite a week, hasn't it? You know, when we when we jumped into um, pressure point series, if you're new to Timberline, we've been in this series for a few weeks where we said, let's tackle some hard topics. And um, let's not be afraid to, to make it. It's not always been comfortable, but I'm really happy I already preached the sermon on politics. <laughs> what a week. You know, the one thing that we can say, regardless of, of where you're at in all this, let's pray for our leadership. That's the one thing that the Bible does say we can all agree on, regardless of where we stand on issues. We need to pray for our leaders amen so make it a practice on a daily basis to just ask God to give you wisdom on how to pray and uh, let's believe God for for his his hand in our nation because we really do need it now today's topic has to do with money and don't get nervous because the topic isn't about asking you to give Timberline money it has nothing to do with that okay this message has to do with money matters. Now you can say that money matters, like all the things around money, or you can say money matters, like it's a big deal in our lives. Um, how many of you have a pretty good relationship with money? You'd say you do. Okay, you're, you're dating. How many of you are divorced from money? <laughs> Is it a blessing in your life? How many of you say money's a blessing in my life? Okay, how many, if you had just a little more, it would be a little better blessing. <laughs> we, we all, we all probably wish we had a little more money. That's just a, it's just a common thread. And I've had a blast researching all this. So many thoughts. You know, if you're single, you have money issues. If you're married, you might have more money issues. One of the number one problems in marriages, one or two, it's come, goes back and forth, is how people handle money. It creates a lot of conflict. And next week we're looking at conflict, so this might pop up again. But I think about whether, if you're rich, you have money issues. You say, no, rich people don't have money issues. So oh. do some research. Boy, will you change your mind on that. If you're poor, you have money issues. It's amazing, all of us have issues with money. And we all think we would kind of like a little more <laughs> I, uh I, I love contentment. I'm a pretty content person. But every now and then, I like I heard this song. I, I sort of like the pop country uh, music. I don't know why, because I've never really liked country music till the last couple of years. And it's sort of clever. And so there's this guy that has this song. His name is Chris Jansen. And it says, the first verse says, I ain't rich, but I sure want to be. Working like a dog all day ain't working for me. I wish I had a rich uncle that would kick the bucket. And that I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness. And it goes into the chorus. But it can buy me a boat. And it can buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 iced down with some silver bullets. Yeah, I know what they say. Money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so. But it can buy me a boat. You know, one of, the, one of the things about money that's kind of humorous to all of us is that sometimes, like that toy, you know, that one thing that you really want, and it's like so easy to say, man, if I could just scrape up this amount of money, I could, I could buy me a boat. And say, well, money won't make you happy. Really? Let me try. Let me just try. One of the things that, that I want to be really honest and transparent about today is that I, I don't like it when people say, well, money just makes it more complex and doesn't make you happy. I really believe that more money in most people's lives can bring comforts that they wouldn't know otherwise I believe money can create scenarios for greater experiences and travel and knowledge and education Are you with me on that can we agree on that it doesn't mean that it it saves your soul it might be harder to walk with God if you make more money I don't know that's kinda of where we're going today that's what Jesus indicates and so We've got to really talk heart-to-heart, undo some myths about money and Christian faith, and, and, and get real. So don't be offended today. Come in open-handed to say, look, I'm I'm here to learn, I'm here to grow, because that's how I want to come in. first thing in your program, if you have an outline to follow along, is just, how can I learn to ask good questions? What What are some good questions that I can journey with God through that will help me make good decisions about money? I'm about to tell you a story in Luke chapter 18 that is known as the rich young ruler. You've heard the story. We're going to break it down and talk about it. Now, here's what you need to know about the story context wise. This young man is very, very wealthy. And he is basically coming to Jesus to kind of justify his position on eternal life. He wants Jesus to make some compliments to him. His motive, as it it unfolds as he approaches Jesus, is to basically impress Jesus with all that he's done and how great he is and the deeds that he's done. And Jesus isn't very impressed. And so that's where the conflict kind of is in the story. At first, it almost seems like Jesus is rude to him, but he's not. So how can I ask good questions? Listen to the question the rich young ruler asked Jesus. Luke 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a great question to me. That's probably the number one question that we should ask. However, Jesus sees his motive because Jesus always sees the heart. And so we have to pay attention to what's really happening in this story. The motive of his question is to get Jesus to praise him because he's very self-absorbed, as you'll see in a minute. Like, I'm really awesome. You'll agree with me, right, Lord? Well, here's the takeaway line. Never patronize God. Never assume that because you did something great in your own mind, God is going to give you back something more than you ever expected. Because God sees the motive of the heart more than deeds itself. Huge thing in this particular story. Second thing, I'm going to go real fast to the first four things. Second thing is that Jesus sees into our heart as to what we would call good. Good behavior, good deeds, all the things that we label as, as good, God sees into our heart first and foremost. So what does Jesus do? He comes right at this guy in verse 19. Instead of answering the question yet, he says, Why? Because he said, Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, Only God is truly good. Now, you would think that's kind of rude. Why is he saying that? The guy was just trying to give him a compliment. No, the guy was trying to butter him up. And Jesus is not denying that He's fully God, because Jesus was good. He's the Son of God. But what He's trying to do is say, there is only one good and it's not you. And it's not me, it's God. And so be careful about putting labels on people when you don't know the motive of their heart. Jesus is trying to help Him see that He's asking here a loaded question. Number three in your outline we know what we know this young man knew a certain pattern of life that he thought was good and it's all he knew he was blind to the things he didn't know and we all are so it sounds kind of simple we know what we know but I want to talk about that because look at verse 20 here's what Jesus does but to answer your question you know the commandments You must not commit adultery, murder, must not steal. He goes through six or seven of the Ten Commandments. And then the man, I don't know if he interrupts him or not, but he jumps right in and he says, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Here I am before you. His t shirt says, Been there, done that. I represent all the good things that you could ever tell me I need to do. See, Jesus is disgusted by this self-righteousness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that our self-righteousness is like what to God? Filthy rags. We, We don't have a thing we can offer God in His holiness and His purity no matter what we do. That's why we can't earn salvation. That's why just being better or doing more good doesn't give us a favorite spot with God. It's why we submit We surrender. Words like that are the answer and the ticket for our salvation. We submit to God. We surrender to God. We don't offer to give Him our best and flex our our muscles and say, look at what I can do. Because God sees that coming and He doesn't like it. That's why we have to constantly be developing our lives. Because we only know what we already know. That's why I'm in a couple small groups. I want friends in my life to be able to see into my life, speak into my life recognize attitudes where I need checks. That's why I have accountability built in my life, in so many areas of my life. I want fresh eyes on things that I'm looking at because my filters, I only know what I know. And there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know. So that's why I read books. It's why I'm asking you to read books. It's why we read the Bible. It's why we study. It's why we prepare ourselves. So please be a disciple. Be a follower of Jesus that recognizes your limitation when it comes to knowing what only you know. But there's a lot more to know. Now, if that's true, then the second part, number four, is true. And that is that we don't know what we don't know. It's more than just a play on words. We really don't know the things out there when we don't know about them. Have you ever been, you know, someone shares something with you and you go, Man, I didn't even know that existed. And it's like, wow, my brain has expanded now. That's what Jesus is about to do in verse 22. Look at what he says. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, Oh, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. What, what just happened in this story? Jesus went right to the heart. When they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, do you remember what he said? Love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two of the greatest commands, this young rich ruler was doing neither one of those. He loved his wealth more than he loved his God. He loved himself much more than he could ever love another person. He was stuck and he couldn't even see it. He didn't know what he didn't know. And when it was revealed to him, he couldn't bear it. He couldn't handle it because he's worked hard on performance, but he's not worked hard on heart. God goes right to the heart and reveals something to him. Now, I do want to read this next passage because there's a lot of confusion about this. It says in verse 24, When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, great. (laughs) I, I don't think a camel could ever go through the eye of a needle, right? He's saying it's impossible. And then you read, if you study this out, you'll see that some scholars have kind of made this little... I don't even know where it came about. Most people don't. But they said that you could look for the needle gate in Jerusalem. And the needle gate was the smallest door opening. And for a camel to go through the needle gate, they had to unpack it. It had to learn to get on its knees and kind of crawl through, which actually historically never probably existed. So I don't know where that theory came up. But here's what Jesus is really saying. Self-righteousness will keep you out of heaven independence from god will keep you out of heaven no matter how good you are no matter all the great things you do if your dependence is not on god you're in trouble spiritually why because god wants to be our source for life period that's a hard teaching so what does it mean so a, a person with means can't ever get to heaven no He's not saying you can never get to heaven. He's saying you can have a lot of money and still have total dependence on God. So how can we unpack all this and think about what all this means? Because Jesus isn't just picking on rich people. He's trying to say, and I believe this, and I want you to really listen to this. He's trying to say that wealth has a way of creating an attitude of independence that can pull you away from really pursuing God with everything you are. Why? Because there's not a lot of needs left. All the things have been supplied to you. Most of you are not wondering what you're going to eat today. Most of you have a lot of choices about what you eat today. It's fascinating and this stat is amazing. Think about this with me. If you earn, if you earn $34,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. You say, no, that can't be. It is. That's not American standard, that's the world standard. $34,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. Now, when you think about that, it's possible that there's a whole lot of wealthy people in here. So we need to take seriously what happens here when the Lord is saying, where is your dependence? Where does it lie? Are you self-sufficient? Or have you really depended on me for your future? And there's a tension between planning and then living this out. So we're going to get into that in a pretty big way here in just a minute. But I really want to read, I want to read out of 1st Timothy 6 because what happens is most people, like when polled, I was reading some polls about people who would accept the lottery if they won it or they would accept more money if it was given to them. And it's pretty much everybody. Almost everybody would say, yeah, I could always use more money. And I get that. Well, listen to 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. And I don't have it on the screen, because so I want you to just maybe even close your eyes and just listen to what I'm saying. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can take nothing. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, here's that famous verse, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many, many sorrows. Wow. One of the things that set me back a little bit in some of my research was that the people who have won large amounts in lotteries whose lives are now completely ruined because they didn't manage it well. People who have ended up going through divorce, horrible divorce, estranged family, kids hating each other. Money can really divide. It can be a disaster for people. I know that wouldn't happen to any of us. But can I trust God and can He trust me with Money, The greatest commandment. Love God, love our neighbor. How does money speak to us? So I want to kind of take about the the last half of my time here and talk about some observations about money. Now, again, don't be offended by some of these. Just we're just talking here. okay? so um, I want you to just open your mind and think with me. Number one, money is not evil. What did we just read in that Timothy passage? The what of money? It's the love of money that can get evil. Why? Because it changes your pursuit. Your pursuit goes toward money and material things rather than toward God and His blessing in your life. There's no doubt in my mind that God is not afraid of helping people become wealthy. What do you mean by that? Well, Look at Abraham in the Old Testament. He was a gazillionaire. Look at David. I mean, look at Solomon. These people had more money than we can even imagine in, in their time of living. And God's blessing was upon them. And you think about that. And it, and it says David was a man after God's own heart. What's happening here is that that God's seeing the heart. He's not afraid to help us financially. He's not afraid to be partners with us in a financial picture. So never think that. But there's a subtle line that we have to pay attention to in the motive of our heart that we don't always know how to read and I want us to be able to read it. And that's why talking about this is good. So money is not evil. It's neutral. It's the love of it that can create problems. Number two, as an observation, is this. Money made does not always equal God's blessing. Money made does not always mean God is blessing it. In other words, sometimes I'll have people say, Man, I started this business. I'm telling you, God is blessing it. How many of you know that's possible? God can bless business. I believe that with all of my heart. But everything that's making money, that does not mean God is blessing it. Don't be that naive. I don't think God's blessing is upon the gambling industry in our world. But there's a lot of money being made there. I don't think God's blessing is on the porn industry of the world. But there's a lot of money made there. But it's not because of God's blessing. So it can be a little deceptive for us as followers of Jesus to know when is this just hard work, investment, stewardship, discipline, savings, all the things that we know we should do. When is it just that? And it has nothing to do with God's blessing. God's blessing is that he's given you some resources to invest and to steward and to pay attention to. And the rest happens automatically because hard work bears fruit. And so there are many principles we have to be careful not to say, well, it's just God blessing it. God may be blessing it, and, and sometimes He does, but it's obedience that we have to have. This third one seems to contradict the second one, but it doesn't. Number three, write this down. Money well spent is blessed by God. When you choose, when you make good decisions, biblically, about spending money, God can bless it. And He wants you to work hard. You know, it's amazing, the the parable of the talents, when God, the, the owner, gives two talents, five talents, ten talents, he gives these away, and he comes back and says, what did you do with the money I left? And it's the guy with one talent that buried it. He said, look, I knew you were tough. I buried it. I was afraid. And he gets it taken away from him. Why? Because he didn't nurture it. He didn't grow it. He didn't pay attention to it. So God wants you to work hard. God wants you to have a budget. God wants you to think about finances. It's a critical part of our lives and not waste it away. Look at Luke 6.38. This is one of those verses that if it's the only verse you hear, you're going to have a warped theology. So it can't be the only verse. But this is in the Bible. Listen. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Wow, this is exciting. Okay, okay, God, I'm going to drop a five in today. I'm looking for a ten this week. It's this automatic exchange that we do so we start giving to get. That's not what this is saying. This is saying when a pure heart has generosity bleeding out of it, you're going to be a giver. You're going to care. You're going to be giving in ways you don't even know you are. Why? Because that's the nature of God. And when you are born again with the nature of God, generosity kind of oozes out of you. And it can be an expression on your face, it can be in a handshake, the warmth of a hug, it can be the fact that you are living generously and you are giving in a way that it makes a difference. Now, I've got to have number four, because this is controversial. Money brings about extremes. Number four is money brings about extremes. I want to talk about these. Through history, you can, I could look them up, I could give you name after name after name. Of people who say true followers of Jesus will never have any material goods. They should be poor, basically. um, Because they've given it all to the Lord. They're not consumed with things of this earth. And so they have no possessions on this earth. And they give it all away. Many people have lived that way and they've died that way. There are other people in our world that say all Christians living under the blessing of God will be wealthy. Both are wrong both extremes are wrong find the balance in the middle of what god's word really says i i i had a discussion with someone and you wouldn't know him it's not in this city but but they said they were in their mid-70s and i said hey talk to me a little bit about retirement how did you plan what did you do and think and and they said well i'm just trusting god i said what do you mean they said i don't have a retirement plan i said no plan at all nope i'm gonna work until i die And I said, what if a health issue hits you? What if, they said, I'm trusting God. Well, you know, then you feel like a real idiot saying, well, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I'm trusting God too, but wait a minute. There's some principles about planning and paying attention and don't start the house and have the foundation done and not be able to finish what you're doing. So so I'm for planning. I believe God's plan and will is for us to pay attention. I don't think we are guaranteed to be rich if we walk with God. I don't believe we're guaranteed to be poor if we walk with God. We must be good stewards. What can God trust you with? You're thinking, well, He could trust me with a little more. Could he? Could he really? I'm asking that question. If he dropped a chunk into your life, what would you do with it? I could buy me a boat. (laughs) And a truck to pull it. Think about that. Um, These extremes are hurtful to people. Um, They they oppose each other. I, I get so angry. One of the reasons I don't watch Christian television is because... The other day, our, our provider has all the religious channels kind of in one section, and I was sort of just going through. I don't know, I don't follow who's who, and so I didn't even know who this was, but I, I clicked on it. It must be toward the end of the hour, because they were all wrapping up, and they were all asking for money. All of them. And so I thought, you know, I'm not very good at taking offerings. I need to learn from these guys. Maybe, what can I learn? So I, I flipped it on this one, this guy. No kidding! He's sitting there, and he's looking at his hands like this. And he looks at the screen and he says, right now you're watching this show. And right now God is wanting you to take your right hand and go get your checkbook (laughs) and write a $100 check. And when you put it in your right hand, you're going to lay it up on your left hand and we're going to pray for a double blessing. And you're going to get back double what you give. I started shaking. <laughs> I was like, heresy! <laughs> oh, it was so difficult for me to sit there and watch that because I was sitting there wondering how many vulnerable people are sitting out there believing this lie, believing this kind of stuff. And, and that's not how scripture is intended to be used. What I do know is that God's calling you to be a steward of what He has given you, not an owner. There's a difference between steward. I don't own the shirt on my back. And that's why we handle material things loosely. They're not ours. Let God use them however He wants. Enjoy them, whatever it is you have, but make sure you know who the owner is. And keep your heart right. And don't hold on to stuff. It's not worth it. That's a That's a big message, especially in our culture. Um, where am I? So I just, that TV stuff. <laughs> Number five. Okay, good habits bring good rewards. I want to hurry and do this. Financial Peace University. How many of you have gone through it? I highly recommend it. It gets into details about mortgages, credit cards, debit cards. It really is detailed. I highly recommend it. We just finished the class. 26 people. Some of you probably were in it. Almost $1,200 of debt was paid down during the series per household. Almost a thousand dollars of money was saved during the, the series per household, and the average of seven credit cards per household was destroyed during that the class. So that's that's advancement moving forward in a good way. I like it. So take out all your credit cards. We're gonna <laughs> it's, it's tricky. But pay attention to what God is saying, because good habits are rewarded. And that's so biblical. If you are a steward and you're doing this, you pay attention. God can reward those. Now, here's here's how I want to wrap up. What, the question that I've left you with, I want you to help me with and make a list. So what are all the ways that, that we can be generous? And, and not just with money. So I'm just going to give you ten seconds, and I want you to just, if you have a pen out, if not, just use your mind. Think of all the ways you can give. All the ways you can be generous. And then we'll talk about them. Ready? Go. Three seconds. Boom. How many of you have time on your list? See, that's a big one. You can be generous with time, and sometimes that's more important than anything the physical dollar can help someone with, right? You can be generous with your words. I'm not talking about being fakie, but I'm talking about being authentic and saying nice things to people when they do nice things for you and appreciating that. You can be generous with grace. You know, I was... Right after I prepared a lot of this message, I was going down college and it goes into where it hits Horsetooth and the lane closes. And, and I had a bunch of cars trying to get in on my spot. And, and I remembered Grace here. I could be generous with Grace. Okay, good. I slowed down. Come on in. Bring your friends with you. They wave. Like, get over earlier next time. Can only have grace once. Then you die. We had a... We had a great, we had a great guy, Brad, Brad Formsma. You're gonna meet him in February. He's gonna speak here at Timberline. He's, he wrote a book called I Like Giving. And it has very little to do with money, dollars. It has to do with stuff like that where you're, you're giving in other ways of your life. And he told a story when he was here, which is really cute. He told many stories, but one was that he went into Whole Foods with his kids. And he was in the checkout line and his kids were grabbing extra stuff and he got in the line that said like 15 items or less, I think he said, and he was pushing it. It was like right at 12 to 15. But, And, and he said a lady behind him in a business suit, very like in a hurry, came with a, a, a chicken salad. It's all she had. And she set it on the counter and she kind of started fidgeting like, and the kids were trying to get more stuff, you know, for the counter. And he could just feel the tension, you know, behind him, like, Oh no, we got to hurry. And, and he's feeling this and she's doing this and, and really, really, really almost rude. And he said, Oh man, I, I just felt so bad. And he said, So I just, when she was turned the other way, I just said to the clerk, go ahead and click her salad on my bill. So the clerk just clicked it and slid it over and put it in a separate bag and left it there. The lady turns around, has no idea. And so finally all the kids, they all leave and she slides her salad up and the clerk said, Oh, no, it's already been paid for. He, This gentleman paid for it. And she went, what? She waited for him outside. And Brad and his kids came out and she said, why'd you do that? And he said, well, I, you know, I felt bad. I, I could tell you were in a hurry and I didn't know what to do. And I just thought I could buy her her lunch. And, and she said, no one has ever done anything like that for me. She said, I, I work at Apple and I can get you a great discount on products. And one of his kids said, Dad, I need an iPad. He said he said no we don't give to get that's the principle here you know the littlest thing can make all the difference what can you do in that little moment the gift of mercy be generous in the use of your material possessions what do you have that someone else would love to have some fun with what do you when i've offered my motorcycle to people they're like whoa whoa i'm like got to have a license and you got to wear a helmet but I don't care. Now, don't all of you come and ask me to borrow my motorcycle. <laughs> oh, great. No, I think I think material possessions are something that we could share. We could learn. I, I heard a great story of a guy in a neighborhood who had an old pickup. And he, and he just put a sign out that says, It's a neighborhood pickup. Use it when you need it. You know, you don't always need a truck, but that one time when you need to get the fridge over there or pick, get some sand. It, it's just amazing the things we could think of. Praise, hospitality, on and on it goes. How and where will I live a generous life? And what will my attitude be toward money? You guys, let's be a steward, regardless of the amount we have, not an owner. Because God owns it all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.